0: Hi, listeners of The Gorgon Show. It's your favorite oracle, Sybil, here, bringing you information you may not know, but for once, it's not about the future. Did you know H.G. Wells, famed science fiction author, actually invented a time machine? Of course you don't, because he was smart about it. He was really careful not to mess with the timeline very wise, and instead took the opportunity to meet and interview all his favorite authors. Even better, he is releasing these interviews as a podcast. I have hijacked Penny's feed for The Gorgon Show to bring you one such interview, one of my favorites, Charles Dickens, with a surprise guest appearance by another author you may know, but his contribution is mostly crying in the background. It's hilarious, listeners. More new episodes are releasing now, and there are already a bunch of authors you can hear from on your favorite podcast platform. Just search for H.G. Wells Has His Regrets, or use the link in the show notes. But for now, sit back and enjoy this episode.
1: Greetings. This is H.G. Wells, Logset S1 Log6, and today I am with a man who started life falling on hard times, but went on to lead a life that was met with great expectations. Master storyteller, Charles Dickens.
2: I am terribly sorry about this, Mr. Wells.
1: If you don't mind me asking, who on earth is that sobbing so grievously and obnoxiously in your back garden?
2: Uh, that's Hans Christian Andersen. Anderson? That's him.
1: May I ask why Hans Christian Andersen is here and profusely weeping in your back garden? We're friends,
2: believe it or not. though That statement may not hold true too much longer. He admired my work, I, in return, admired his. He wrote to me saying he was coming to London to visit for two weeks. It's been three, and he hasn't shown any sign of leaving as of yet. This morning I woke to discover that he'd received a bad review, and I found him lying on my lawn, crying, and he hasn't stopped since.
1: Good heavens, was the review that bad?
2: I've seen worse. Saying Mr. Anderson has a sensitive soul would be undermining the ferocity with which his mood seems to swing.
1: I'd say that simply saying he's a bad house guest would be undermining the stress you seem to be under. Quite right. Let us move on to other subjects then, hmm? Please. Wonderful. Let me start off with saying I am much obliged to you, Mr. Dickens, for sparing me your time so suddenly. Especially since you seem so busy.
2: Or to put it another way, I've got my hands full.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, your writing has been a great source of inspiration for authors throughout the world and in the future. In fact, a friend of mine, Jerome K. Jerome, credits you as his main inspiration.
2: Really, Mr. Wells?
1: Yes, it's true. I can't divulge too much information, as it's that of the future, but he claims to have encountered you in Regent's Park when he was a small boy.
2: How fascinating. Well, tell your friend that I wish him only the best in his writing endeavours, and that I'm happy to have been a help to him.
1: I will do. Now, moving on, I wanted to discuss something that we both share in common. Oh? During your childhood, you were forced into childhood labour. Working at a shoe-blacking factory, correct?
2: Yes, indeed. I was paid six shillings a week to paste labels onto pots of boot-blacking. It was awful, tedious work that no child should ever be forced to endure. But due to my family's financial situation, I had no choice. You don't mean to tell me that you
1: were forced into a similar situation, do you? I do. My family couldn't support themselves after my father's career in cricket was abruptly ended after a thigh fracture so, my brothers and I were forced into apprenticeships at a draper's. Those years were some of the most miserable in my life.
2: Oh, how awful. My sympathies, Mr. Wells. It's stories such as yours and mine that inspire me to ever write about and campaign for the rights of children.
1: So, despite everything, your time working in that shoe-blacking factory really seemed to inspire you?
2: I remember things from my childhood very vividly. I often draw on those experiences to write in my stories.
1: Arguably, without your time working then, you wouldn't have been able to write the stories you do.
2: Are you implying it was a good thing to go through, Mr.
1: Wells? Not at all. Merely that, perhaps, the experience was invaluable to your current views and career.
2: Maybe so, Mr. Wells. But you know what else would have been an invaluable
1: experience? What? An actual childhood. Well, uh, yes, I can't deny that. I I didn't mean that it was a good experience that could make up for the loss of childhood experience. What I I meant was... Uh... <coughs> what the dickens? Mr. Wells? The, 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 the raven! <coughs> there, there's a raven! Oh
2: yes, Mr. Wells, how observant of you.
1: You know this raven? <coughs>
2: Very well, he's my dearest pet. Pet? Yes, Mr. Wells, meet Grip. Grip, Mr. Wells. Hello, our old girl.
1: Hello, Grip.
2: Hello, our old girl. (laughs) That's his favourite expression. He has quite an impressive vocabulary, really.
1: Very good, very good. What's the matter? Are you afraid of ravens? What? No, no, it's just I've had a lot of interesting encounters with animals recently. Namely, a raven. (laughs) Ah, I understand.
2: Well, I assure you, Grip is quite harmless. Mischievous, has a habit of nibbling at people's ankles, but... Not malicious in any sense.
1: Grip. Where have I heard that name before?
2: Are you familiar with my novel Barnaby Rudge, A Tale of the Riots of Eighty?
1: I am. (coughs) The raven in the story. Its name is Grip.
2: Exactly right, Mr. Wells. I realised I could make quite the character of my own for Grip, so I decided to include him in the story.
1: Wait, so that means Poe.
2: You know Poe?
1: You know Poe?
2: Indeed I do. How? How? (coughs) How? I met him in Philadelphia during a trip to America. He favorably reviewed some of my work, and when he wrote to me proposing a meeting, I happily agreed. He was fascinated to discover Grip was a real raven and not just a character. As am I. He had quite the fascination with ravens.
1: You're telling me. So, this means that his poem, The Raven, was based on a raven in a book who was based on a pet raven owned by you.
2: That's right. A well-written poem, too. Though so sombre. That's right! That's right!
1: I may not have a fear for ravens, but I'm certainly developing a distaste for them. Fear! Fear! Don't stop mimicking me!
2: Stop! Stop! Fear! Fear!
1: Hello, our old girl! Alright, you smart-mouthed little...
2: Leave the poor bird alone, Mr. Wells. It's not Grips' fault he's such a good mimic. He takes after his owner.
1: You fancy yourself a good mimic?
2: Not to brag, but I've always had a gift for imitating those around me.
1: Can you demonstrate it for me?
2: Are you questioning my acting ability? I'm merely curious. Fine. Well, who shall I imitate?
1: Me. Impersonate me.
2: Okay. You asked for it. Greetings. Sorry for intruding. My name is H.G. Wells, and this is my time machine. It's amazing, isn't it? A work of genius. Oh, me and my marvellous time machine. How I love my time machine. How about we sit and talk for a while before I leave again in my time machine? Did I tell you how much I love my time machine?
1: Well, my passion comes across, it seems.
2: Is there anyone else you wish me to mimic?
1: How about Hans? (laughs) Perfect! (laughs) Bravo! Ah, thank you, Mr. Wells. I can't deny your acting ability. It's no wonder people flock to your live readings.
2: They're a joy to perform. If there's a chance I can take to the stage, I'll take it. I love the theatre. I used to go every day.
1: I did, for a short time too.
2: Oh, you're a fellow theatre fan?
1: For a very short time, I was a critic.
2: The opposite, then. The theatre's enemy.
1: Oh, come now, that's a bit dramatic. I don't hate the theatre. I just don't wholly understand the appeal.
2: Why on earth were you allowed within ten feet of theatre criticism,
1: then? Look, desperate times call for desperate measures. You're telling me? Well, as you can clearly see, things got better. And I haven't critiqued a play since.
2: Thank heavens... I have uh, one question for you, Mr. Wells, if you don't mind me inquiring. If it'll not harm the future, at least. What would that be? Do things get better? I mean, generally? Not for my personal life. I do not mean, will my life get better? I do not wish to know my life's end. I mean, the general state of the world itself. There are terrible things in this world at these times, Mr. Wells, things I do not wish upon the next generation, nor those that follow. Do these things pass? Is the world a better place, a happier place? Does the world learn, move on, and improve? Well, do they, Mr. Wells? Do things get
1: better? There are things that plagued those before us that no longer plague us now. This I'm sure you're aware of, You'll see it in your own life. Things that caused your parents' and grandparents' harm that cannot and will not harm you now. It's just the same in the future. However, those troubles that those past generations faced are now replaced with new troubles, aren't they? Problems that you face, problems that those before you never had to deal with. The same can be said for the future. It's a cycle, really. Old issues are replaced with new issues. We are never completely free from these issues. We live in a world which never ceases to be problematic in some form or another. Yes, my time is free of problems that you face, but it has its own unique problems. So, do things get better? I don't know.
2: Oh, bloody hell! I've had just about enough of this. I'm so sorry, Mr. Wells. But this conversation has been thought-provoking and most interesting, but if you'll excuse me, I have a big problem to deal with, one that certainly won't be plaguing your future any time soon.
1: Well, I should probably be heading off too. I have notes to make, work to do, things to wash, suns to get for.
2: Of course. Thank you. Now, if you'll excuse me... Oh, for heaven's sake, Hans. That's it. That's enough. Will you come inside and stop crying? You've been
1: at this Well uh what a conversation that was I suppose I'll be ending this log here for today. My name is H.G. Wells that was Charles Dickens and I think Dickens regrets having house guests reduced to a miserable pile of tears over them
2: It just shows you as being pathetic you know it's completely not in my usual character to do this, but I've got no other way to get through to you to be nice and that didn't work. Oh, now stop that. No, don't give me that. Just take it like a man and stop whining. This podcast was brought to you by Turpentine Productions. You can find us on Tumblr at Turpentine Productions, Twitter at Turpentine Pod, and Facebook at HG Wells Has His Regrets. H.G. Wells Has His Regrets is written by Emily Hancock, with assistance from Francesca Mylord Ford. Music was written by Joe Ashkari and Emily Hancock. H.G. Wells was voiced by James Carpenter. Charles Dickens and Grip the Raven were voiced by Alex Roberts. Hans Christian Andersen was sobbed by Jonathan Domit. This podcast is fictitious, and all characters within are merely fictional interpretations of the people they're based on and are not to be taken as serious or accurate portrayals. We'll end the episode with a quote from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Reflect upon your present blessings, of which every man has many, not on your misfortunes, of which all men have some. Thanks for listening.